welcome to season two of the Sober Experiment podcast with Alex and Lisa. Our podcast is for anyone and everyone, whether you're still drinking, thinking about ditching the booze, or you've already quit alcohol for good. Our podcast is raw and still unedited to this day. Join us and our guests for tears, emotion, and some hilarious laugh out loud moments. Season two is sponsored by Lunar Holistics. Lunar Holistics offers a wide range of professional home study courses, including counselling, life coaching, and NLP. They also offer courses in beauty therapy and for the most spiritual minded of you, they've got courses in tarot, palmistry, astrology and psychic development. So if you've been considering a new career or you want to learn just for fun, no matter where you are in the world, Lunar Holistics will enable you to gain a fully recognised, accredited and insurable qualification and no previous academic qualifications are required. Lunar courses are easy to follow and you can study from home at any time that suits you. We're really excited that Luna has offered to sponsor this season as everything that they do aligns perfectly with our core values. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Alex. This is nice. Isn't it? It's just so nice being in the same room. It is lovely. Are we allowed in the same room? Yeah. We work together, don't we? Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> so, so should today, we not go there? No, let's definitely not go there. So today we are interviewing Bex Weller. If you don't know about Bex Weller, well, you should do first of all. She's absolutely amazing. She's written two books, and one of them particularly is is on my top favourite list. Didn't it? I, I, do you remember me raving about it when I first oh, read yeah. it? So the first one is um, a Happier Hour, which I absolutely love. And if you've not read it, read it. Even if you're already sober, read it. But then the other one is Up All Day, and that's a really good self-development book. You actually shared that yesterday in our, um, you know, when you did the recommended reading in our Facebook group. Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, well done, Lisa, you shared it. I've not actually read that one, but it's something that I really do want to read. You will read it, definitely. I think it's just that you've got like... Is it on Audible? Yeah. Oh, oh do you know what? I don't know. I think I read it. I don't know. I don't know, I've just well, made up a lie. I might struggle with a... Maybe that's why you haven't read it. It might not, be, It wasn't yeah. on there. But, um, yeah, it's a really good book. L- loads of stuff. And it, it's all about, like, Beck's memoirs, about how she's done things. But through that, it really helps you yourself as well. So, Aww. anyway, let's see what she's got to say, shall we? Hi, Beck. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We're really excited. I'm sure we say that every time we get somebody on, we say, oh, we're really excited, but we genuinely are really excited every time. That's what Definitely. it is. Definitely. I love it. This podcast is the best thing we've ever done because we're excited every single time we do on. Yeah. But we are really excited. Um, we loved you on the sober session. So to be able to have you all to ourselves is just fantastic. Know, really selfish, but yeah, selfish, great. but good. <laughs> so what we wanted to do, if it's all right with you is just get a little bit of a backstory about you know what kind of brought you to sobriety in the first place if that's all right please yeah for sure I was you know I've always been a a binge drinker and so when I was 16 I was quite um introverted and quite shy and I fell in love with alcohol and then for 20 odd years I was having had this real binge drinking um mentality where I would be 
often making rules around my drinking. Like there's a lot of the, the, the things that we talk about in about moderation. I was doing a lot of those things, like trying to moderate my drinking and trying to drink like a normal person. Yeah. And so I would make all these rules around my drinking. I'll only have three drinks this week or I'll only have, you know, drink on certain days or I'll only do this or I'll, I'll only drink white spirits or I'll only drink, you know, I have tried to make all these rules to see if it would calm down my drinking. But I just, once I had a taste of it, I, like I wanted to keep going. I wanted to keep the good times going. And I didn't seem to have this off switch that others had where they would feel sick or they would feel dizzy and that would cause them to stop. And I didn't have that. Like, so I just would keep drinking until I would black out or I would, you know, do things I would regret. And this went on for, for 20 years because I found myself in circles of friends who also like to do that because I think that that's what we do. We gravitate towards people who like to do what we like to do. Mm-hmm. And I also found myself in jobs that had big um, big entertaining budgets. So we would have big functions and, and there would be a lot of um, big drinking events. And I went to live in London for a, for a few years and then I went to live in Sydney for a few years and in both industries and it was in banking, there was a big entertainment budget and also a big push to go to the pub at lunchtime as well. Like looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's a bit crazy. But at the time, and of course I loved that. So that was brilliant for me. And when I came to live back in my hometown of Perth, I had started to, like, I was just turning 30 and I had started to think, okay, it's time to like slow this train down. It's time to, to give this drinking thing a bit of a, a break and act like a more mature woman. <laughs> um, but I got to Perth and, and so I saw, told my uh, recruitment agent, okay, I don't want to work in banking anymore because to me, I thought, oh, it's the banking industry that's yeah, causing me to yeah. drink more, right? It's not me, it's my circumstances. So if I change the circumstances, then hey presto I won't have this drinking problem so they placed me in uh, oil and gas so like an energy companies which also had massive entertaining budgets so I was a little bit worried at first but then I thought well you just got to go with it don't you and so I made all these other friends who were out you know big drinkers and I got to the point where I I was starting to be like, you know, I was in that job for like seven years and I was starting to think, okay, maybe I need to just start eating better. And, you know, I think sometimes you start to think you bargain with yourself. Like if I, if I eat well, and then I'm sort of healthy in my diet, then the binge drinking is, is evened out, you know, sort of like balancing that out. And I started on this kind of um, health journey um, when it came to my food and I started a little recipe blog, like a little health blog. And that led me to enrolling to study to become a health coach. And I was still in the corporate world. At the time, I thought, oh, just learn a bit more about health and wellness that I can share with people who are reading my blog. And I was like so surprised that people were following along this little recipe blog. And I so I started to um, to study to become a health coach, just thinking that that's what I would be doing. Yeah. But the more I learned about this health stuff, the more intrigued I was and the more um, surprised I was about what I was learning. Learning. And I decided uh, what I'll do is I'll leave the corporate world and I will become a health coach. And then, of course, the binge drinking will fall away because I won't have stressful month ends and I won't have bosses and deadlines and I won't have all these, these events to go to. And of course, since I'm a health coach, I'll be getting up every morning and I'll be drinking green juice and I'll be doing yoga and I'll be living the, the total clean lifestyle. And 
I was shocked when I left the corporate world and I started this this business that I found myself drinking more and I started to found myself drinking more on the couch, like couch drinking. Yeah because I didn't have time or energy or the money to go out partying anymore. But I was also doing all of these scary new things like running a business for the first time. There were so many things that I had no idea went into it. I thought I would just be helping people with their eating. I didn't know I'd have to do legal and accounting and, you know, all these other things that go into running a business. So I felt so out of my depth. So, so um, it was so confronting. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, what am I even doing? And every time I had something scary to do, I'll be like, well, I better just have a drink and, and I'll think about that tomorrow. And I would just sort of, you know, keep, keep, this pattern going and it, it was I was about six months into this journey of working for myself that I was in a coaching session with with one of my beautiful clients in Skype and we were looking into each other's eyes and she said you know sometimes when I feel lonely I find myself drinking more and I said well that's okay and I was just horrified the minute I said it because I thought what am I doing it's not okay it's not okay it was just one of those moments where you're looking into a mirror and you're like I can see clearly for the first time that it's not okay for me it's not okay for her it's not okay for anyone why we need to deal with these things and I was in a fairly new relationship as well my love and I just moved in together so he was never a drinker he thought has always thought drinking was boring and pointless and so how we ended up together I still can't <laughs> quite fathom to this moment he loves you, that's <laughs> yes exactly like we were just so different and we were, of course, having a lot of conflict around it. And at the time I was thinking, like before this moment with this this client as well, I was thinking, well, gosh, if you don't want me to, to, to drink, then maybe you should be with someone else. Like maybe I should be with someone else. Like, God, I, I should be with someone that lets me do what I want to do oh, and doesn't yeah. sort of oh, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't hold a mirror up to me. And that point with where I could see clearly for the first time, I also then looked at him and and. And, and our relationship. And I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted in this relationship. And I'm choosing alcohol over a love I've always wanted, over this business that I want to pour my heart and soul into of helping others. And I realized then that I could spend the rest of my life running. I could move from location to location and job to job and relationship to relationship. And I would always be right there with myself doing the same old thing. And I I just sort of came to this crux where I was like, enough is enough. I've just got to try something different. I've been trying to control this drinking for 20 years and all the heartache and all the tears it's caused me. And what I haven't tried is just embarking on a little sobriety test. And I didn't even know then that people did that kind of thing. Like I knew they did dry July, but I knew that they bought, um, bought out passes, you know, passes that their friends chipped in to, to give them a day off or whatever. So I thought, it's crazy, right? So I thought, who does 30 days? Like I'd never even imagined that. And I started, I came across these sobriety blogs, which blew my mind. These women writing about their sobriety journeys because I had my own food blog. I'm, I can't believe I was so shocked, but I didn't even know they existed. And they talked about going alcohol free. And one of them in particular, and this was Belle from Tired of Thinking About Drinking. She talked about a 100 day experiment. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, 100 days. It felt like scary, but kind of achievable as well. Like it's not forever. Like let's just try this little experiment, much like your namesake of, of see, see what happens and see what it's like. And I thought, okay, if I can, if I can do this, then maybe I will learn how to drink like a normal person. <laughs> but I also thought I would um, maybe learn something about myself. So I approached it that way of sort of like, let's see where this journey takes me. It's, it's like very much like what Lisa tells about when she was in health and wellness. Yeah. And just didn't feel that the values that you were kind of preaching weren't aligning with what you were doing. Yeah, it took ages as well. I used to run, um, we call it like a slimming world group over here. So I had like a Saturday morning group and I absolutely loved it. And like we'd have a group of people and we'd all talk about health and nutrition and how they could lose weight and just live happier, really. <laughs> it wasn't all about weight loss. But what I was really good at, and I'm so embarrassed to say, say it is what um, the alcohol it was called sins so you could only have so many sins s-y-n so it was short for synergy so it, it was like what were it like 15 sins 15. a day yeah. and you could use it on alcohol food or whatever treats treats oh. so I used to like pride myself on how I could get people to fit so many um, gin and tonics or Bacardi courts. People had said to me like, oh, it's the wine. And I'm like, I know what to do. Switch it out. Switch it to gin and slimline tonic. That is your answer. And the more I was doing it, the more I, I just felt such a hypocrite like and now I, I do feel hypocritical looking back at it like how could I do that then if they'd have just took that out it'd been life-changing anyway and it has been for some yeah. of the people you did because you have actually managed to get some of the people who you knew on board with us yeah, yeah. some of the consultants as well yeah. Yeah. oh brilliant <laughs> is that my old and manager yeah she's a year so off now <laughs> oh my gosh that's incredible she is but yeah I totally get that <laughs> Yeah, and I think very similar, although, you know, different as well. I was a teacher and I'm going in and I'm teaching these young, impressionable kids of, you know, 16 to 18, I say kids, 16 to 18, and I'm hungover and I'm saying things like, oh, can't wait till Friday, just because culture allows it and it's so normalised. And, and they're going, oh, what are you doing on Friday, miss? And I'm like, oh, you know, wine o'clock. And, you know, like, just so normal. And that, I look back and I think, I've, I've just been part of society's problem. These, these people think that Friday is wine time because of me. Mm-hmm. It's oh, partly yeah. because of me. Maybe not all because of me. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, right and it's it, it's sort of like we and we don't realize that that we're caught up in that society normal those that mentality until someday that we wake up and we finally see it it just yeah it's it actually for me I think it was a process of a long process of un, unseeing it like once you stop drinking you start to notice all those things yeah. right oh every second post on Facebook is about I can't survive my life without drinking and it's you, you don't realize it or actually I probably embraced it and I probably wanted that and I yeah. definitely shared that um when I was drinking because I wanted to normalize the level that I was drinking at 
Yeah, and you kind of see that a lot more now following lockdown. And I guess that's very similar to you coming out of the corporate world and into working at home. When you haven't got like a fixed schedule, it actually can make your drinking even less manageable because you, you work and home blends into one. Yes, and I know in your book at the beginning, you describe that kind of conflict. Yeah, right. All those routines are out the window. There's no, there's no clocks or times or deadlines or bosses or exactly like I think we we all have seen that firsthand this year when all the during quarantines and lockdowns and things like that. How much that changes things and I think for many people as well they start to see that they may um that there may be an issue there with their drinking that they might have been able to think oh I just drink you know after this time or so on but then when things are thrown into chaos suddenly you're like oh okay I mean I certainly am seeing a lot more women coming forward to me who are like oh now I find I'm drinking every day or now I find I'm drinking from you know 11 a.m and so it's definitely that that snowball effect where you start to see things in a new light I think when you're in it as well, when you are doing that and, you know, the three of us were, you don't always recognise there's a problem until it's happened. You know, like you don't see it increasing. You don't see it taking hold of you. That's the very crux of addiction, though, isn't it? You don't see the danger until it's too late. And we're doing a lot of talks around that at the moment, aren't we? What I want to ask you, Bex, is... At the beginning of your sober journey, and I already know the answer to this because I've seen it in your book, but <laughs> at the beginning of your sober journey, you didn't always find it easy. No. You had a few challenges. Can you kind of share any of those challenges with us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I swear, because like, especially when I read back my, my first book, A Happy Hour, when I read that back, um, especially the, the draft manuscript, I was like, God, I cried a lot. I cried more in that time than I had in my entire life. But also I grew more. Like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that personal growth. And I think I call that now the growing pains because when we we are going through, we're changing so quickly and so rapidly and we are learning to deal with these emotions. And I think that was the, the hardest thing is that I was suddenly faced with all of these emotions that I had never had to deal with before. Uh, you know, one example is I never thought I was an angry person. I didn't think I got angry. I thought I was always cheerful and happy and stuff like this, you know, or felt resentful. And, and when I stopped drinking all of a sudden, oh, wow, look out, you know, yeah. it was like, <laughs> don't cross me. <laughs> I just was learning all these things about myself and it was flipping exhausting. Like it was so exhausting because it, one minute I was like, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm an adventurer. I'm a pioneer. I'm not drinking. This is amazing. I feel so good. And then the next day or even the next minute, I would be like, oh my gosh, like just end it now. This is, I can't cope with, with all of these emotions or all of this stuff that's coming up for me. And I think also the more that we in early sobriety, the more that we grow grow and change the more of a disparity between the person that we used to be so we look back and we're ashamed of things that we did in the past yeah Yeah, that's really hard to handle and hard to to cope with like all of that um 
just like flashbacks and regret. And, and I felt like I was dealing with new emotions and trying to figure out what they were. And, and so much of like, I remember Dom saying to me sometimes when I would just be sobbing, he would be like, use your words. What is it? But I didn't even know what, what, how to articulate them. I didn't even know what those emotions were. And then you're also dealing with all of this stuff that this baggage from the past of trying to reconcile and trying to forgive yourself a lot of that, um, and trying to forgive um, others, and you know, there's so much, so much that I that I struggled with there um, in those early months but that I wouldn't change for the world. And I wanted to keep going because each month that I got to, I still was like, this is still better than drinking. This is still better than the hangover, the shame, the regret. I was in, you know, I would maybe not cry when I was drinking, but I would then shove those emotions down and I would act in ways that I wasn't proud of. And I would say things and, and be immature in relationships. And, you know, there were so many things. So even though I was going on this emotional roller coaster, I was still like no this is still better I still need to find out what happens if I do another month (laughs) yeah it's like when you um we say this like emotional maturity seems to stop at the point at which you start drinking so when you stop again basically I went back to being 13 and was like I'm not doing this throwing my toys out of my pram about things not knowing how to compromise not understanding what sorrow felt like or sadness and I know you've been the same Lisa haven't you like something rises and you're like I get I get really worried about because we like have people on our Facebook group the sober experiment one and I'm like your life can change so much in that year but it's like you said it's and it's not easy like my life completely turned flipped spun everything but I would sit there and go but it's still better than drinking and it's like you find the strength isn't it to deal with them emotions it's just and you get scared of telling people how much their life's going to change in the group yeah that's that's what it is I'm scared of telling people that the life's going to change that's what it is and but and they might not like it but they will (laughs) it's to articulate it's so true right because I thought I loved my life I had a huge group of friends I was doing all these things. I thought it was great, except for all the, the, the struggle behind closed doors. But I thought on the surface level, I didn't want things to change. I wanted to keep the same friends. I wanted to do the same things. Yeah. But what I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah, now I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, bless. You thought you were living a good life then. You had yeah. no idea what was on the other side. And that's what's scary when you tell, when somebody comes to you in their very, you know, in their first week and says, well, I'm, I'm not going to know how to socialise or I'm not going to know what to do. Everybody I know drinks. And you want to say, we want to say, you're not even going to be friends with those people. <laughs> <laughs> you're not, not going to want to know them. You're not going to want to go out. And you can't because you just, I, I'm thinking back to me. And if somebody had told me that all my old friends, family, outings, <laughs> all of that was no longer going to be, I wouldn't have got sober because I thought I liked it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. We do. Right. We sort of like we we convince ourselves that no, no, this is the life I want. Not <laughs> knowing that there is a better. And I think that's the thing as well. Like we're scared because you don't know what if there's a payoff. Like there's so much yeah. fear because there's uncertainty of like, but will it be better? Can you guarantee me it will be better? That kind of thing. You know, you you're so like scared to. And I, for so long, I was so scared to let go of of one part of my life and to step into the new one because I was, I didn't, wasn't 
I wasn't sure what the new one could look like. So it was very scary to change. So I totally get that. <laughs> We'd be millionaires if we could bottle oh, the feelings, sobriety. Yes. That's what we need to do. Figure out how to bottle sobriety. Definitely. <laughs> yes. So at the weekend, um, me and some friends from Be Sober went and climbed Mount Snowdon. And it was really funny. What we did is we went, me and Susie were laughing actually. As we were getting up, at one point we was like, I hate this. I hate rocks. I can't breathe. This is awful. And then two minutes after, we were like, oh, my God, we are smashing it. This is amazing. Look at that view. It's beautiful. Then we'd get around the corner and I'd be like, oh, oh, yeah. And it was so weird. But what you were just saying then is so, it literally is like climbing a mountain. But the top is just so worth it oh, but you I don't know but it is isn't it like when you get there you don't know what to expect to be fair when I got there they wanted you but it was still amazing <laughs> <laughs> it was and so much of that right because you get there and you want that external thing you want that view and you're like that's what I'm doing it for but then you discover that so much of that journey was about how you changed what you learned about yourself like when you get to the top it's not just the the view that makes you feel good right you're like Heck yeah, I climbed a flipping mountain. You feel so good in yourself. And then you get to the top and that's the thing. Once you're sober, you don't stop. You then get yourself a big parachute and start jumping off as well. It's like... Again, we were like, right, what, what next one can we do? What can we do next? It's that bit of an addictive personality, isn't it? <laughs> Not just climbing this challenge. Yet. Let's go do another next week. <laughs> I, I like... Um, to ask you and I know I've asked you this before but it it always kind of like inspires me if you like that your creativity even though you've always been from what you said quite creative your creativity absolutely soared that became like your jump off the mountain didn't it when you got there yeah, it did. And so like I, at first I was just playing with creativity because I was like, oh, okay, it's something fun to do. It helps me to to block out the emotions for a minute. But what I didn't realize was it was actually helping me to to, to sort of process the emotions in a slower way. Um, and I, I would often think, okay, if I was at a party or something that was quite difficult, especially in the first few months, I would think, well, at least you've got this creative project in the morning. Like that's something to look forward to. Like I would sort of, you know, um, picture myself the next morning of like getting up and feeling excited to do something for me but then what I also discovered because I had this idea in my head I'd always wanted to be an author but I had this idea romantic notion or ridiculous notion that authors are drinkers and they go hand in hand and you can't be a great author without being a great drinker you know we tell ourselves all this rubbish and what actually happened was when I stopped drinking I was like I can think clearly hmm who would have thought I can actually put form two two thoughts together more more clearly and I also like I can have more fun writing and and it wasn't easy because I you know I wasn't very good at the beginning and I still don't think I'm anywhere near where I want to be but it was that process of like about once you've closed and you feel then like what else am I capable of so it was that kind of thing where oh okay well could I play with this could I you know could I make a whole 
you know, could I make more blog posts? Could I make a, uh, a whole book? Could I now, could I do a second book? Like what else could I be capable of if I've already done this thing that was so flipping hard and found that it changed me for the better? Maybe there are other things that are also super difficult, but will be really um, exciting for me to, to you know, experience and have a play with. See, I mean, you've pushed through lots of kind of, you know, the comfort zone limits with your first talk on stage, which was kind of a grotty experience, wasn't it? I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that as well, please. Yes. (laughs) So I walked, so I was invited to to give a speech and it was my first like public speech and it was in the same nightclub that I used to go to when I was a teenager. And so this was so bizarre to me because it was the couple that were organizing it. They were uh, like a punk rock couple. And so this is why I guess they they hired this nightclub to host this. It was a vegan festival, like a wellness festival on a sunny Sunday afternoon. It's such a beautiful day. And we're walking, my, my love came with me to sort of like help with the tech stuff. And we're walking into this dingy dark nightclub and the floor is sticky and it smells a bit like beer and it smells a bit like vomit. And it's like, what? What are we doing? It's a beautiful day outside. What are we doing in here? And we walked past, and as we walked from the first stage to the around to where the second stage was, where I was going to be, I walked past the bathrooms and I just clocked them. And I remembered that once when I was 19 and I was there and I was drinking with my friends, and it was ladies' night, so they had blue cocktails, as many as you could drink. And I remember going into the bathrooms and I passed out in there. And the next thing I remember was waking up and I came out and light was streaming in the the front windows my friends were long gone these cleaning machines were going across the floors and I just felt like oh what am I doing and I had to do that walk of shame home and I yes right oh gosh it's just that that pit of the stomach to walk out and then it was very early in the morning but some people were out and about in their workout gear in their you know and the sunshine is just like yeah it was horrible and I did that so many times over the years so the the fact that I was coming into this place this same place and giving this talk my first talk on stage about wellness like it just felt like this huge sign from the universe of like you know this is this is it this is you've come the full circle and I got up on the stage and I was so scared and I was so nervous and I was shaking but I remembered what they said about find friendly faces in the in the audience so I was trying to pick up pick up a couple of friendly faces and they were so sweet they were like nodding along and and agrees with me and stuff and so I was like oh good good and so I kept going and kept going and and I was supposed to give a Q&A afterwards but by the time I got to the end of my talk I was just like I, I'd reached my limits of like that's my courage I've used it all and so I just bolted off the stage and the, the sound guy was like looking across like okay what just happened <laughs> and I thought well no one would want to ask Q&A anyway because I wasn't very good and then all these people came up and they were just well, were asking all these questions and that about um drinking because I'd spoken about my drinking journey uh, for the first time and so so many of them came up and bravely asked questions about that and about you know if they would some of them would start with oh you said I should drink more water and then they would start talking about the drinking and, and stuff and so then I started to realize okay well you know also I I guess I always thought I had this thing about perfection that it had to be perfect so it was a big lesson there of not only how far I'd come but also that 
letting go of perfectionism because those people that that I connected with that day and hopefully helped in some way, they weren't there to see something perfect. They were just there for the for the authenticity. And that was something I'd always struggled with is that true connection with others. I always had this wall up. I always had this, this um, fear of real real um, authenticity and intimacy so the, my walls slowly started to come down there but it was just such a weird experience in that same place where I'd had that first walk of shame I think we've all had yeah walks of shame yeah that's yeah. fascinating though I don't I've, I was just thinking as you were talking like would I like to go back and do a talk at any of the places <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think that's such a brave, it is a brave inspiring thing. thing to do. To, yeah. Isn't right. it weird, though? Everybody's got a toilet story, public toilets in the kind of bars that you're in. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got a walk of shame story. Everybody's got a kitchen story, a random kitchen yeah. story. Yes. Like, mm. yes. Yeah, and we just do these things and it's just... When you're in it, it's just so normal and so acceptable. And I mean, you say walk of shame, but actually, I don't know about how it was for you. When I've done my walks of shame, I've just kind of not been that ashamed. You've not been shamed. Yeah. <laughs> I've not been that ashamed. I've just thought I'm funny. Like, oh, look at me, five in the morning, walking oh. home in my heels and dress. And yay, you're cleaning your steps. And uh, oh, this isn't great. But that's been about the limit of my shame until now. And now I look back and think, oh, my God five in the morning, walk old ladies out cleaning their steps and here's me walking on looking like some sort of disaster. You were never really... See, I was always a guilty drinker. It was like I was... When I used to eat meat, I was always so conscious that yeah, yeah. I was doing it. I was a guilty meat eater. You've been a guilty so It was easier to drink. That is true. I'm working on that. I know. I know. <laughs> no, I've not been guilty. I just thought... Guilty, sorry. I've just thought... I've kind of celebrated my story. Yeah, you have. You, you know how I know this is, you know your videos and pictures, the awful ones that you delete the night after. Alex never deleted hers. Oh, yours. So she, <laughs> oh, oh, mine. But she's got low, and I'm actually really grateful for it now because I can now see how bad I was at some point. <laughs> Whereas if it was up to me, there was all got, I, del- I would wake up in the morning and be like, that's awful. Delete, 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 delete. Never want to see them again. Where Alex would celebrate hers and be like, look what an idiot I was. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but now I'm ashamed. Now now when I look back and, you know, like these this things I regret in my life now. Um, there's, a, there's a whole year I regret, actually. One entire year at 30 to 31 when living in Cyprus. But I don't regret the outcome of the year. So I kind of, it keeps me okay. I regret the way I dealt with my life in that year, the the behaviours that I was exhibiting during that year. And I think for me, that's what kept me kind of detached from it. So I might regret the behaviours, but that's what I saw them as, their behaviours, but this is the real me. So maybe I always knew I was kind of destined to be something else. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah, it's that's so interesting, isn't it? And and yeah, I I, I was the, sort of the the way of the feeling guilty and feeling feeling ashamed like all the time. But yeah, I, I would say that that's probably a pattern in my life as well that I always have that have had that. But also, I think it was brought to. I think when I when I was in my twenties, I thought it was funny. But then when I was in my thirties, and especially when a lot of colleagues would make snide remarks, mm. and so yeah, and so then I would feel like, oh okay, and I couldn't quite connect it either. And that was something that 
I was just talking to my love about recently. I said to him, you know, I could not see the pattern that I kept perpetuating either in my romantic relationships where I, at first everything would be wonderful and then they would start like, and I didn't know what it was, but I, but they now I can see it was that they weren't respecting me anymore. So they were sort of treating me different. And so then I was like, well, I'm not going to stay with you if you're going to treat me like that. So I'm out of here. But what I didn't see was what I was bringing to the party and why they were not respecting me because they could see I wasn't respecting myself. So it was very difficult. And, and of course, I acted like such a banana whenever we would go anywhere and totally embarrass them. <laughs> You know what else I love? I love that you can't say nice. smiling, Every time you say I love, and I'm like, oh, I just feel your love when you say it. I've not really heard that term before. You and say it's oh, my love, don't you? I do, I do. I suppose we, because we, we only just got married two years ago, but before that we were living together for so long and I was doing all my videos and saying my partner, it just felt like, I always felt like a cop and I had a partner that was my other cop and so I was like, <laughs> And my partner in, in, in the force. And so I, then I, yeah, I started saying my love then. So I've just continued. I love it. It, it, it just gives you like every time you say it, I think. Oh, <laughs> it, is lovely. it is lovely. It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the story with the artwork on your book? Because I just love how that came about with you holding the balloon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I suppose because we were trying to decide what the cover would be of this book, right? It was my first sobriety, sobriety memoir. But I'd read so many memoirs that were just about the drinking story. And the story would always end when they went to rehab or when they stopped drinking. So it was really a drinking memoir. And I was when I wrote mine, I was like, I want it to be about sobriety. I want to show people that there's life on the other side because that was my biggest fear that my life will be over when I stop drinking. Yeah. And these books didn't help. And so I was like... Okay, I really want to show that there is life on the other side. So then I said to to my love, I said to him, I don't want to, and he's a graphic designer, so he was designing it. And I said to him, I don't want a dark cover. They all they all have dark covers. I want to have a light cover. Um, and he was like, All right. And so we we're trying to decide. And our friend is a photographer, and he came. And he's like, Okay, we'll take this photo and we'll head out and we'll try and get a shot. And my love had decided that we'll, we'll take these balloons. And it was this day, and it was like it was blowing a gale, and you know the best best laid intentions right we'll go to this place and it's really nice and sheltered and the wind was blowing and the the balloons were bopping me in the head and my dress was blowing up and my hair was in my face and it was like I don't know what are we gonna do here I don't know if we're gonna get this shot and then we walked and we decided oh we'll go up this other lane and we went up this other lane and there was this um in sort of an indigo blue wall and the, my the friend that's the photographer he was like okay come on come and stand in front of this wall and we'll take some here and it just like happened that the sun came out the wind stopped the balloon stayed still we got the shot and he was like that's it I think this is the shot and I was like okay I guess we're going with the dark cover dark cover it is oh that's gonna be goose I know both of your books are I love the way you tell the journey through your eyes but you managed to get the self-help in there that's what I love the most about your books you know they're learning journeys for people reading them but it just it's so from the heart both books feels I felt like I knew you after the first one honestly oh, I think God. I stalked you for about three weeks afterwards oh, I need to meet this lady I have to meet her she definitely did because right at the beginning when we was having a few sound issues she was like telling me your husband's name and everything she's like, like oh yeah I'm hating it 
enough dog gets in it. But no, that's what I was hoping. Like I was hoping that it would resonate with others and that they could see themselves in the story. Yeah. Have you got plans for another book? <laughs> I you know, I've currently got about ideas for about another four. So I'm just like, right, I'm doing like these different topics at the same, all at the same time and going, okay, nah, this one will go in this one, this one will go in this one. But I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. You have to tell me as soon as you know what the title okay. is. What, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I you got it. To read the third one, definitely. <laughs> um, do you want to ask anything else? Why would you do that? I'm so fangirled now. I'm like sat there going, oh my God, I don't know what else to ask. This has never happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I just want to say a really big thank you for taking the time to talk to us because I know how busy you are. Yeah. And honestly, we appreciate it so much. And we do, we proper fangirl. We do, so. we do. <laughs> Every time we do a podcast, I'm so blown away by people taking the time to talk to us. So, yeah, thank you. And I think the other thing is as well, we both read different, we both got really different kind of tastes in what helps us, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, between us, we get these guests on, yourself included, and we're like, oh, this is going to be brilliant, this is going to be amazing, this is going to be, we're like two little children between us. <laughs> no, we've really enjoyed it, Bex. So much. And it's so, so good as well, like, I think, when you've got two hosts, because you can like then you've got each other as well like you know to have have peers and colleagues and that's one of the things that I always miss so I love these conversations so much because you know I don't have water cooler chats anymore and so working yeah. from home and stuff so it's like it's so so much fun so thank you so much for having me oh, it's been absolutely lovely we're really really grateful I can't wait to get it released <laughs> thanks thank you thank, thank you, you.